Welcome back to See Here Feel. Today, I have a compilation of episodes 61 to 79. In the last compilation of episodes 41 to 59, we touched on the importance of recognizing the emotional landscape, our own as well as that of others. Emotions help us take care of ourselves as well as others, including patients, and compartmentalization and detached concern are probably not optimal. Emotions are actually also involved in error, and normalizing the fact that we all make mistakes helps me stay more vulnerable and open. Together, I think and hope we can make changes in the culture of medicine. And that is the major theme of the last 20 episodes, togetherness, self in the context of others. As Dr. Warren Heyman says in episode 61, The older you get, you realize what Jackie Robinson said, the life matters for how it affects other people. What we do directly affects other people. And that's the other person, whether it's your student, your patient, your colleague. It's not all about you. It's about everyone. And I think it takes time to learn that. And Dr. Stephanie Preston says in episode 75, The affect and appraisals of the people around you are going to influence how you respond. People are thinking, if I don't show any emotion, I can't make the people around me upset, right? Like you have to set a good example and set a good emotional tone for the team. It's like an intuition based on the idea that we do know emotion is contagious, that we try to tamp it down in professional settings. They're thinking, oh, that way we'll be objective and avoid bias. But it's actually a false understanding of emotion and decision-making when people do that because all decisions are affectively laden. Doctors do compartmentalize. We have to. And yet, as Dr. Peter Wong says in episode 73... As a human being, sometimes compartmentalization isn't necessarily good. And I think that's one thing that's been really interesting is that there are ways to use your emotions to strengthen certain aspects of your life. In episode 76, Dr. Stephanie Preston addresses a common myth. Burnout is one of the reasons people give to justify eliminating empathy from medical care. Right. They'll say you can't empathize because that will lead to burnout. Yeah. And I think they're confusing empathy with personal distress or like emotional contagion rather than telling people they shouldn't have empathy. It would be good to train people as to the benefits of having empathy and how it can be successfully integrated into medical care and how to address burnout by adding some efficacy to whatever the people can do. So finding ways that they can be of assistance is going to solve the problem a lot better than just telling them not to have emotions because Mm -hmm. this has been part of your biological makeup for hundreds of millions of years. We share this affective brain with rodents, with monkeys, with all kinds of species. We all have relationships, whether at home or outside the home. In episode 77, Dr. Ellie Stilwell puts emotion into perspective as related to the work setting. Work relationships actually make up a big chunk of our emotional and social support network. Emotions and relationships become so important at this kind of work-non-work interface. When I talk about emotions, the perspective that I take is that emotions serve a social function to help us connect with people, to communicate how we're feeling with people. Emotions have social functions that they play in social relationships. 
so when we express emotions at work, what we're doing is we're trying to connect with someone on that kind of social emotional level of you need to understand me as a person, as a human. And understanding others is an individualized process that takes practice. Dr. Barry Schwartz describes practical wisdom in episode 78. There's a kind of wisdom that enables us to make very concrete, practical decisions on a daily basis, like how to talk to a patient, whether to be honest in a conversation with a friend. We all think that you always want to be honest, but sometimes when you're honest, all you are is hurtful, and you need to figure out how to balance honesty with kindness. So it takes judgment to know how to approach a patient, a friend, a romantic partner, a student in a class. Circling back to burnout, just as Dr. Heyman emphasized the importance of others, it is others who can keep each of us on a practice path. Dr. Kira Shabram emphasized in episode 62 that people with a calling have the least burnout when the calling is not about personal identity or what I alone can contribute, but about practicing together. We called that the practice path. Number one, they did not see themselves as unique. They saw themselves as part of a community of practice. And so they didn't constantly feel the onus to take on everything. Instead, they were there to learn from others and then also to delegate and train others. So I think that's one really important bit about if you work as a calling, make sure that doesn't isolate you. That instead you realize that there's lots of other people out there with that calling and that the only way to do this sustainably is to be part of that community. Dr. Shabram continues in episode 63. People who we describe as being on that practice path seem to naturally be doing the things that we would advise to do if you are looking to combat burnout. So they are engaging more self-care. They know when it's time to go home and take a break. And they're also engaging in more other compassion. They are creating this community. They're mentoring other people. They are helping others. And not only are they feeling good about that and learning from that. But when it came time to rise into leadership positions, people would nominate them because they'd say, hey, here's this person who looks out for others. In terms of compassion, this is Dr. Shabram's definition from episode 64. Compassion is a behavioral process that starts with noticing when someone's going through pain, either yourself or others, putting yourself in their shoes in the case of others, or feeling the sense of common humanity this could happen to anyone. I can't blame myself for that. And then importantly, doing something about it. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about compassion, I talk it about it as noticing, feeling empathy, and then doing something. And I still love her concept of compassion as a muscle with self-compassion and other compassion working that same muscle from episode 64. The more you notice other people needing, the more you can also notice your own needs. The more you respond to others, the more you give yourself grace. So all of this tends to go hand in hand, which I think is really beautiful. And in episode 69, Dr. Yuta Hang speaks to the fact that self and other compassion do not have to be time consuming. The benefit of self and other compassion is to be aware of our suffering and being able to alleviate it in small ways. We're in a pretty fast-paced society where we're always on the go of what's next. In episode 66, Dr. Vin Chung quotes, There's an African proverb that says, If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that, to me, summarizes the transition that we all need to make as doctors, where we are incredible individual achievers. But we need to move beyond achieving and to learn how can we collaborate and connect with our team 
In episode 79, Lori Zorn says, Where growth mindset is so important in this work is recognizing you have agency, you have ability to move. And that is the work I do in my practice to help people not only recognize it, but create movement and create new behaviors so they are able to be flexible and agile given the challenges, issues, opportunities that they face in this ever-changing world. Similarly, in episode 68, Dr. Jacob Towery talks about shame attacking as well as mindset shifts because people can get tricked into thinking it's events that determine how we feel, but it's far more common that our thoughts, our interpretations determine how we feel, which in some ways is great news because you and I have little control over earthquakes and tsunamis and trains and all sorts of things in the world, but we can learn how to have more control over what thoughts we tell ourselves in our mind. This type of control takes thinking about how we think as demonstrated by how we see and observe. In episode 67, Dr. Erwin Braverman talks about truly seeing a patient versus inspecting for particular physical exam findings. You would think that this skill of looking carefully at the patient, not just the skin, but looking carefully at the patient, would have been something that would have been instilled in us when I began medical school. But what was emphasized was called inspection. When you did a physical exam, the catch was that what we were inspecting for, we were told what to look for in advance. We were not taught to really look carefully. We were taught to look for specific physical findings that would be part of some disease. And this dovetails with what Dr. Mel Goodell says in episode 70, that what we perceive is really influenced by what we have experienced in the past. People come through different labs, different traditions, different training regimens. And so therefore, they apply what they've learned in the past to interpreting what they see. Absolutely true. And if that happens, it's not unusual. We definitely do use past experience to guide us because we live in an uncertain world. As Dr. Gerd Gikrenzer notes in episode 71, Most of our decisions are decisions under uncertainty, not under risk. We do have data, but not enough. Interestingly, Dr. Gikrenzer connects uncertainty with emotions in episode 72. Oh, I have a positive attitude towards uncertainty. So imagine the world would be totally predictable, certain. We would know everything that happens in the future. We would know when we die. We would know on what we die. We would know everything. And how boring would that be? There would be no disappointment, no hope, and no reason to have any emotions. You don't even have to trust someone because you know already. Without uncertainty, we wouldn't need emotions. We also would need no intelligence besides maybe calculation, and nothing would ever be new, no innovation. So if uncertainty allows for innovation and emotions, and both can create more meaning in life, as Dr. Kira Shabram says in episode 62, Human beings need meaningfulness in their life. I I believe that, and I think the empirical evidence backs that up. That meaningfulness can come from work, and if you are lucky that you see work as a calling and it meets your expectations, I think that can be a really wonderful thing. But if you find meaningfulness outside of work, from your family, from your hobbies, your civic organizations, your church, I don't think we should judge that. And Dr. Casey Shuko gives good advice in episode 74, with which I will end this compilation. That's a take-home message. Just ha- try to have fun doing what you do. You're going to have setbacks. You're gonna have- that's life. 
taken in stride. Your priorities, stay true to them. Thank you for listening into this podcast. I would love your support. And if you're willing to give it, please follow, share, and rate the podcast. I hope that we can all have more fun as we follow our passions and search for meaning.